Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I am your host, Aaron Sagers. I can be seen on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show, Paranormal Caught on Camera. And we have new episodes from our fifth season airing during the spooky season, the Ghost-tober event on Travel Channel during October 2022. I am also the co-host for the new Netflix series, 28 Days Haunted, which drops on October 21st. Let me tell you a little bit more about 28 Days Haunted. I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm quite proud about this project. It's the first of its kind. It's, it's Netflix's very first paranormal investigative show. And within the show, three teams of ghost hunters are embedded at three separate haunted locations for 28 days straight and we get to watch as all of the activity unfolds i mean literally i that's what i'm going to be doing i'm going to be monitoring their activity and their findings from a control room and i will be doing so alongside tony spera who is the director of the new england society for psychic research he is also the son-in-law of famed paranormal investigators ed and lorraine warren who, of course, are now best known for their depiction in The Conjuring films. Now, you don't have to be a big fan of Ed and Lorraine Warren to watch the show, but this does extrapolate some of their theories. And yet, Tony and I still approach the paranormal with our own unique perspective and experiences, and we have our own kind of different takes on things. And really, this show... It's about observing how investigators are put to the test, pushed to their limits over the course of a month as they are also cut off from their families, their friends, the rest of the world, really. And they are surrounded by escalating paranormal activity. Now, with that in mind, I did recently visit Tony at the home of the Warrens in Monroe, Connecticut. Ed Warren passed away in 2006, and Lorraine died in 2019, but the home still feels very much lived in. Tony and his wife, Judy, who is the Warrens' daughter, continue to maintain the house. And behind the home is the Warren Occult Museum. You may have heard about that. It is this. It has not been open to the public for years, but it still exists back there and is this really quite astounding collection of allegedly haunted objects the crown jewel really is the uh the infamous annabelle doll in the movies we know her to be represented as a um an antique porcelain doll but in reality annabelle is a raggedy ann doll who when she stands up she's about three feet 
tall. That's that is when she's not locked away in her very special case, which she pretty much always is. Anyhow, uh, stay tuned for a video tour of the museum that will be posted on the Den of Geek YouTube channel. In the meantime, I invite you to listen into my conversation with Tony Spera, where we discuss the 28 Days Haunted series on Netflix. We also talk about his history with the Warrens and some of his own personal anecdotes and his own paranormal experiences. We also chat a bit about the Seekers of the Supernatural Paranormal Convention, which Tony is holding, and that's happening October 29th, 2022, at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Hey there, spooky nerds. Aaron Sagers here, and I'm pretty astounded by my environment. I'm actually sitting in the living room of Ed and Lorraine Warren here in Connecticut, and I'm joined by their son-in-law, also the director of the New England Society of Psychic Research, Tony Spera, and also my buddy. Hey, Tony, how are you, man? Good to see you. It's good to see you. Thank you for welcoming us in today. We You're very welcome. took a tour of the Occult Museum, the Warren's uh, Haunted Museum, yes. and now just having a chat. In fact, Rosebud, the Warren cat, is just uh, roaming around right Lorraine, now. Lorraine's cat, yeah. Lorraine's cat. I, I'm curious about I think people across the world are now familiar with the Warrens, and they have been for a long time. Obviously, the Conjuring movies helped elevate that quite a bit, turn them into household names. Talk a little bit about your connection with the family and also your interest as a paranormal investigator. How did you get pulled into the paranormal side of things? Yeah, well, I first started out back in, actually, when I met Judy in 1979, the Warren's daughter. Judy, my wife, the Warren's daughter. I was a police officer back in 1979, a young guy, and I was sitting in a like an industrial park right outside of a main road, the entrance, and I was parked so I could face out to the road, and I was doing a police report, just sitting there. Remember, 1979 was different. There's no body cams, none of that stuff, no cell phones, and I just happened to glance up and I see this car, this wagon go by, a car, with a beautiful young lady in it, smiling at me, right at me, and waving like this. And she's looking right at my face. And I looked up and I went, and she's gone. Hmm. And I said, I want to see who that is. I put it in drive, pulled out behind her, and I followed her for about a mile. She pulls into a strip mall, and she, by the time I even pulled in there, because I, I wait for a car. I pull in my cruiser and she's already inside this dress shop. So I pull up right next to the door of the dress shop with my cruiser and I'm looking in and she comes to the door and she sees me and I go, I wave. She waves back, but this time the wave wasn't like friendly as the first one. Mm -hmm. Almost like, who's this guy? Now I got nervous. I said to myself, she's going to call the chief of police. I'm going to get in trouble for like harassing a woman. Following this lady back yeah. to, yeah. So now I pull away and say, I just blew that whole thing. I'm, my career is on a line too. I'm saying I'm going to get fired. I'm thinking of all this stupid stuff. Not five minutes go by and I get a radio call from another police officer. I'm saying, he's going to escort me into the chief. He wants to meet me to escort me to fire me. And I'm all stuff's going through my mind. He says, meet me behind the building. Now I'm scared. 
he, I go behind him to a certain building. He pulls up, this guy Al. He's a regular patrolman like me. And I'm looking at him. Hi, Al. He said, hey, you just see a woman drive by and wave to you? I go, yeah, why, Al? He said, oh, she was looking for me. He goes, she thought you were me. Oh, I said, oh, oh, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, I know her. He says, her name's Judy, you want to meet her? I said, I'm not going out with her or nothing. I said, he said, I'm just a friend of hers. I go, yeah, I want to meet her. That night, I met her at a place called Jim Dandy's Fried Chicken on Blue Hills Avenue in Hartford after I got off duty. And Al was there to introduce us. And I met her, and she said, oh, you want to come back to this beauty salon where I know this guy, Michael, does my hair, and you were going to go out later, but if you want to stop by, it was like midnight, mm -hmm. so I'll stop by and talk to her. And I never stopped seeing her. The next day, I called her up, you want to go somewhere for lunch? And that happened. So that was in September of 79. I kept dating her. October of 79, one day she says to me, I'm like four weeks into dating her. She says, do you want to go see my parents lecture at the University of Connecticut? So I said, what are your parents, college professors, lecturers? Because that's the way she said it. You I had said, no clue. Up I had no clue. Point. No, because she had a different last name. Right. And I said, yeah, well, who are they? College lecturers? And she started laughing. She goes, no, they're not lecturers. She goes, they're, they're, they're lecturing at the Jorgensen Auditorium. They're, they're college professors. Uh, they're, uh, they're ghost hunters. They're not college professors. I said, ghost hunters? She goes, yeah, they're paranormal researchers, Ed and Lorraine Warren. And I had heard the name vaguely back then, but I really didn't know them. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I'll go, sure. That Friday or Saturday, whatever it was, I went to Jorgensen. She goes, oh, they said to meet us in the green room. Meet, they're going to meet green room. They'll be there. I walked in. Lorraine's sitting in a chair. She's wearing a kilt. A white blouse with ruffles, hair perfect, and she's sipping on tea. And I walk in and she said, hi, hon, how are you? Like she knew me. Mm -hmm. She didn't know me. And Ed looks up from his slides. He's got this slide projector rack, and he's got slides he's looking at to try to pick and put the right ones in. He looks up to me. He goes, uh, hey, kid, how you doing? Hey, you believe in ghosts or what? Like that. Hmm. So I went... I don't know, Ed. I, I, as Mr. Warren, I don't know. I, I didn't know anything about these people. You, you watched the lecture tonight, you'll believe, just like that. So we sat in the audience that night and watched the lecture, and I was like, actually, I was getting a little nervous and scared watching some of the stuff he was talking about. I've never, never been through that before. I used to study astrology a little bit, but not the paranormal like that. Let's talk about ghosts and devils and everything. Right after that, she says, okay, let's go meet him. They want to see us in the green room after, after the lecture. We went in there, and Ed says, let's go get a pizza somewhere. He always wanted to eat after a lecture, and I learned later. And we went to this pizza joint, and there he's talking more about, well, what did you think about the show? I said, it was good. And there's a guy with him. A young man was with Ed and Lorraine at this pizza place. I didn't know the guy. And he goes, oh, that's Gerald. So I said, oh, hi, Jerry. And he's talking. And now, as I'm talking to Ed, trying to ask him some questions, this guy, Jerry, keeps interrupting and asking Ed stuff about, Ed, how about the poltergeist that he's pulling out a pen? And Ed looks over at Jerry and he says, you know something, Jerry, you're a real pain in the ass. <laughs> Little did I know that he was talking to Gerald Brittle, who was the author of the upcoming book, The Demonologist. The Demonologist, and yeah. G Gerald was following around, 
gathering all the information he could. I didn't know anything about Gerald or a book or anything. I thought he was just a reporter or something, you know. But after that night, about a week later, two weeks later, Judy says, you want to have a turkey dinner over at my parents' house? I'm like, yeah, because I want to talk to Ed some more. That's where I got introduced to the museum. And ever since then, ever since that day, back in 79, I was here all the time. And then maybe in about 81, 82, I said, Ed, is there a way I can get involved in this stuff, like, and help you out at all? He said, well, you can help me out a little bit. You can, you can carry my equipment. He was a wise guy. I said, yeah, I'll carry your equipment. He said, yeah, we'll do lectures and you can come and learn. You can listen to us lecture and you can learn as we talk about during the Q&A when we talk about things. And you start to gather, you'll, you'll learn a lot. And that's what I did for a few years. I used to follow them around their lectures and set up their equipment and listen to the Q&As. That's where you learn a lot. And then after we'd go eat and Ed'd be talking more about certain things and I'd be picking his brain. Ed, why'd you say that? Why did you talk about that? What do you mean when you said apparition? How come you didn't say ghost? And then he'd give me the difference between a ghost and an apparition. He'd say, well, an apparition is a spirit that you recognize. A ghost would be a stranger. Like if you recognize Abe Lincoln there, he's an apparition. Mm -hmm. If he's a stranger to you, you call him a ghost. He, that's how I started to learn things. And you started investigating as then well. Then I started investigating back in probably 85. 86, I started going cases with him because I said, well, Ed, can I go on a few cases and start to learn? And that's how I got involved. He'd say, yeah, kid, come on. He'd always call me kid. Yeah, kid, come on. Uh, I'll show you the ropes. And uh, let me tell you something. Ed was a very confident man, but he was humble in a lot of ways, too, because he would be willing to sit and talk to someone for hours to teach them stuff. So when I asked Ed a question... He wouldn't get all like, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I talked about that a thousand times. He'd sit there and he'd explain to me. He'd say, look, the paranormal realm is something that nobody knows all the answers to. He'd say, I know a lot. He said, I know a lot, probably more than most. He said, but even I don't know all the answers to the universe. He said, that's why we call it the mystery of the universe. We're not meant to know everything right now. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I learned from Ed and Lorraine, of course. Because Lorraine was a really good clairvoyant and psychic. And she would never charge for her readings or services. She'd be at a lecture hall and someone would say, Lorraine, can we go in the room, in the back room there, and maybe you could read me and I'll, you know, I'll give you some money. She'd shake her head. She goes, no, I, I don't do that. Well, I'd just like to know about my life and I'd like to know what's going to happen. No, I, I don't do stuff for money. She was, I can tell you right now that you know, you're a good person. You know, you, you have some kind of a, a issue with religion. So she'd say mm -hmm. something like that. And she would tell the person, you know, free of charge. And she used to tell me all the time later, Lorraine, she'd say, I don't believe in charging for a gift that I have from God. Mm -hmm. She's my gift is from God. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, take advantage of it by charging people any money. And she wouldn't ever charge for any kind of a reading or anything. How do they, how do you think they dealt with people? Because I know that they were very devoutly Catholic and yes. a lot of their methodology was kind of based in that. But how did they deal with folks that had different spiritual beliefs coming from different backgrounds? Was it something that they were willing to yes. embrace or was it just outside of they were where willing, they, were they were willing to embrace? They were very ecumenical when it came to that. 
they would work with all religions. You know what they just say to me? And he said multiple times, and to people, he'd say, any religion that treats that 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 preaches love of God and fellow man is a good religion. He'd say that to me. And he said, the only one I don't agree with is Satanism. He'd say that also. Satanism, I don't. Everything else is okay. He goes, he goes, I don't even have a problem with Wicca, white witchcraft. I have no problem with that. He's the only time I'd have a problem is if it got into gray and black witchcraft. He goes, some of you just like worshiping Mother Earth, the Earth Mother. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You're not doing any harm to people. And then he also tell me a lot of times, he said, we're all praying to the same God. We may call him by a different name, but it's the same God that we're praying to. And I believe that. So he would work with all religions, of, of all faiths. Okay. Yeah, I feel like maybe not everybody realizes that because, you know, because their faith, their Catholic faith, has become such a, you know, a well-known part of their story. I don't think a lot of people realize that maybe they worked with other, other yeah, faiths as well. because people in the audience sometimes would say, why do you keep talking about Catholics? Why do you keep talking about... Ed would say, because I'm Catholic. Yeah. He goes, that's why I talk about it. But he goes, well, I'll work with any religion. Your belief. He goes, if we would call in someone from another faith, like a clergy person, say you're a Protestant, we would look for a Protestant minister to come in and help the family. We wouldn't always call in a Catholic priest. If they had someone that they relied on, if they went to church, whether Episcopal or whatever, we'd try to get a hold of them. Work with all religions. What was the moment that, since you were kind of introduced into this world via dating Judy and then later marrying her and then working with Ed and Lorraine, what was the moment though that you're out in the field or you have an experience where you're like, okay, it was all studying and now I feel like I'm in it. Like I'm convinced. Yeah. Well, that, that's easy. That's, that was Whitby Abbey in England, Whitby, England, where Ed took me, Lorraine and Judy on a business slash pleasure trip. It's kind of funny because the first time I was ever out of the country was 1981. And that's where we went and to England and Scotland. And they invited us. So we went and Ed says, we're going to go all through England and Scotland. I said, that sounds good. So we traveled and we, he said, we're going to also go to a place I want you to see called Whitby Abbey. It's in Whitby, England. I said, okay, let's go. So we stop at all these different places and we finally end up at Whitby. And it was in May uh, out of 81, I believe. And he said, we're going to go out there and investigate Whitby Abbey. He goes, he was saying, you know, Dr- Bram Stoker who wrote Dracula? I said, yeah. He goes, that's where the casket landed in his novel, Dracula. Mm-hmm. I said, really, Ed? He said, you're going to love it there. He said, it's scary, but you're going to love it. And we're going to investigate a little bit around there. So we went out with a 35-millimeter camera. I had, <clears throat> Ed had a cassette recorder. And Judy and Lorraine, of course, came with us in a rental car about 3 in the morning on, I don't know, sometime in late May. But it was freezing out. The uh, the wind was whipping off the North Sea, blowing. And you could see semi-moonlight through the clouds. But it was very dark, very scary looking out there. And the ruins of Whitby, built like in the 14th century, still standing there with the lights shining on it. And Ed says to me, why don't you go set up your camera over there? I brought a little small sticky tripod with me Mm -hmm. that folded. 
And I said, okay, he goes, set up your camera over there and we'll get some shots and everything. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to get the cassette recorder and try to get some EVPs, whatever. Yeah, because he would use the cassette recorder a lot. Always a cassette. He started with the open reel tape decks back then, but then he went to cassette because that's all we had back then. No digital. So, and the cameras were film. And so I had a Canon camera that I was setting up on a tripod and suddenly I could sense something behind me. Ed was nowhere around that I could tell. And the women were somewhere else near the car. I'm setting up the camera and the tripod. I could sense something behind me. And as I turned around, <coughs> there was this black swirling mass. The best I could describe it is like a cyclone of wind twirling in front of me, maybe about four feet in front of me and about six feet high. And it was dark, so dark that it was darker than the night. So I could see it clearly. And as soon as I saw it, I could tell it wasn't good. And I started to feel totally drained of energy. Like just, whew, energy gone. Almost like, you know, you get the flu and you mm -hmm. can't get out of bed. It was worse than that. And I fell on my knees. I remember falling on my knees. And I believe I yelled out help a couple of times because I just couldn't believe what was happening to me. Ed came running. I found out later he was running. I thought I heard something coming at me out of my peripheral vision. And he was yelling something, which I didn't remember at the time until he told me later what he was yelling. He was yelling because he saw it too. He was yelling, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave and go back to where you came from. In the name of Jesus, he kept repeating it. Mm -hmm. And he had holy water in his hand. He was sprinkling it towards this mass. He got within about six feet. He told me later. I didn't know. I was looking at the ground. He told me that he got within about six feet of it, and the thing just went poof, gone. Then he ran up to me. He's pulling me up by my shoulders, and I'm saying, Ed, what the heck happened? What was that thing? He's like, let's get to the car. Let's get to the car. And he brought me to the car. He said, I saw that too, you know, because I was saying, well, yeah. he goes, I saw it. He goes, it was demonic and it was coming after you. He said, and I said, why, Ed? Why would that happen to me? It's the first incident ever happened. He said, because it doesn't want you to work with me. He said, it doesn't want you around. That's what he said to me. Mm -hmm. He says, well, he says, but you're strong enough. You're going you're gonna to handle it. Like almost like telling me that you're going to continue on this stuff. He goes, we're not going to do anything else tonight. We're going to go back to the hotel. And we didn't do anything that night. We went back to the hotel. That was the first, that was the first actual like case I was on investigating. A yeah. And that happened to me. That was probably the worst thing that I can recall happening to me in recent history. In that, history. That's crazy because as you mentioned, like Bram Stoker setting uh, a significant part of of Dracula there. That's where the coffin landed. And in indeed, the there's there seemed to be some sort of experience for you there. Do you? But did Ed and Lorraine view everything as demonic, or did they also think, okay, there's ghosts, and then there's also demons? Yeah, ghosts and demons. And actually, the demon part is more a lot more rare than ghosts and spirits than even than earthbound entities. <clears throat> Most of the stuff we encountered in going into a haunted house or earthbound entities were people who have passed on from this realm but didn't leave this realm spiritually. In other words, uh, you, Aaron, and me, and everybody on this planet, in my belief, are two things. You are a spirit, and you are a body. 
So when you die, your body dies, but your spirit can never die, will never die, does never die. So people sometimes who pass away in a house, for instance, that are really attached to their belongings, attached to their house, perhaps not very religious either, mm -hmm. tend to stay by what's familiar to them, which would be their belongings, their house, something maybe they work for all their life. Like if I weren't that religious, and I'm not that religious, I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church every single day, but I'm spiritual, I believe in God. So I won't have a problem when I die. I'll know to go towards the light. But there are people who will die who never talked about, thought about God, never prayed. All they thought about was their earthly belongings. They pass away in a house. Their spirit doesn't pass away, stays there. And their consciousness, them, want to stay near the belongings. And that's what an earthbound entity is. And sometimes... That earthbound entity is seen or heard in a house. And that's where we get called in, where people say, I see something out of the corner of my eye. I, I hear something. My, my TV went on and off. And a lot of times it happens because something new has been done to the house. For instance, this house here. If I own this house, which I, we, Judy and I own it now, but if I died and then people, and you were in this house for years and years, like Lorraine and Edward, and you died and people started to do new construction. They're messing with your house. Mm -hmm. You want it to be known that you're not happy with it. Get a little territorial the over The TV it. goes on, the light flicks on, maybe a, a voice is heard or, or something is moved because they're not happy or you see them because they're not happy with you messing with what they think is still their house. Yeah. So that happens a lot. Ed totally 100% believed in earthbound entities. There are very religious people who say there are no earthbound entities. They're all devils. That's not true. We have too much evidence of earthbound entities. If something were a devil or demonic, they won't stay benign and friendly in your house for 25 years. We've had people say, well, I've had a ghost in my house for 25 years, but it doesn't bother me. I just, you know, I'll just talk to it and everything's okay and it doesn't hurt me. A ghost, uh, a devil's not going to wait 25 years to harass a human. Mm -hmm. They're going to do it kind of quickly. So that's how we know that that's an earthbound entity. There's too yeah. much evidence to that effect, you know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, before I shift gears too much, I want to just kind of follow up on that because I think a, a conception or misconception people have about the Warrens is that they viewed everything as demonic and you're saying that's not the that's case. That's true. What are some other misconceptions or things that people get wrong about Ed and Lorraine Warren and their pursuit? That they thought that people say they're in it for the money. Ed got out of the Navy in 1946. He investigated haunted houses from that time, 1946, to at least 1967 without making a penny. And why he didn't make a penny? 
He never charged to go look and investigate a haunted home. He went to hundreds and hundreds of, probably more than hundreds, probably thousands by 67. And you know why I say 67 was because that's when he started to get noticed more and people wanted him to do lectures at colleges. And of course they said, well, we'll give you money. We'll give you a thousand dollars to do a lecture. That's how they started to make a little money. He sold his paintings that he learned how to do in art school. He went to Paris Art School in New Haven for two years, and he loved to do like landscapes, New England scenes, and haunted houses. In fact, that's what's got him into some of these homes. He lived in a haunted house from age five to 12 mm -hmm. in Bridgeport. So when he joined the Navy on his 17th birthday, he said to Lorraine, when I get out of the Navy, Lorraine, I'm going to find out if other people have had haunting phenomena like me. <clears throat> Lorraine was 17 at the time, and so was Ed, or she was going on 17. And he said, she said, Ed, you guys are all reading the same books. There's no such thing as ghosts. That's what she said when she was 17. He looked at her. He said, Lorraine, that's because you never lived in a haunted house like I did from age 5 to 12. I know there is. So when he got out of the Navy, he went for two years to art school. Then he quit art school all of a sudden. And Lorraine says, what would you quit for, Ed? You love painting. He goes, I can paint better than the instructors. Than the instructors. He was cocky. But he said, Lorraine, we're going to make a lot of money. And he said, we're going to get, we're going to make paintings. I'm going to make paintings and we're going to drive up to tourist locations in New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, and we're going to sell them on the side of the road. And that's what he did. He got these little pieces of wood, called them barn door wood, and he called them barn door paintings. He did acrylic on wood, he'd sit up to these places like Kenny Bunkport, all these places in New Hampshire stuff. And he'd sit on the side of the road with his 1933 Chevy, and he'd sell these paintings on an easel. And I said to Ed later, you know, before he passed, I said, Ed, did you make a lot of money? He said, Tone, I made an exorbitant amount of money. I said, come on. I said, what would you make? I made a lot. I said, well, tell me, what would you make? So I started laughing because he said, well, sometimes I'd make 4 or $5 a painting. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, 4 or $5, Ed? What, are you kidding me? He goes, Tom, back in 1950, 51, if I sold a painting for $5, he goes, we used to stay in a log cabin up in Vermont for a buck a night. He goes, I used to buy a hot dog for 10 cents a piece, and gas was 28 cents a gallon. So if I sold five paintings and I had 25 bucks in my pocket, I was bucks up, right? Yeah. I said, yeah, you were, but he goes, I paid $15 for the car that I had to pay off on time because I didn't have the money. It took me three months to pay it off, five a week, so uh, five a month. So he says, yeah, I guess. But what got him into these houses was he read Fate magazine a lot. Mm -hmm. And he used to read about these haunted houses, intrigued. He would find where that house was by reading the magazine and inquiring. Take the 33 Chevy and Lorraine, drive up and find the house. He'd sit in front of these houses with a sketch pad and a pencil. And he'd sit there for about a half an hour sketching the, a nice outside part of the house, little bushes and all that stuff. Nice outside sketch, quick, pencil. Hand it to Lorraine, say, Lorraine, do me a favor. Go up to the door. Whoever answers, no matter who it is, tell him your husband in the car down there loved your house. He did a nice drawing of it. He wants you to have it. That'll probably get us in. See if it gets us in. She'd go up to the door, 20 years old, 21. Mm -hmm. 99.9% .9 of the time, Ed, they want to talk to you. They want to talk to you, Ed. 
and Ed wanted to talk to them because that was a haunted house. He'd say, hey, you know, I made a nice painting in your house, but by the way, I heard your house was haunted. What happened here? Learning, Ed's learning what's happened. Is it similar to what happened to me? And he'd do that a lot of times to learn about people and with their experiences. It got to the point though, Ed was starting to do paintings and gallery showings with his paintings. What really got it going was not about 1967, like I said, he had a gallery showing in Monroe, in the Stepney section of Monroe, where he talked about any little paragraphs written about his paintings, and he talked to people who came up to him about this particular house, like the like the Henniker house in Henniker, New Hampshire, the Oceanborn Mary house. After the gallery showing that he had, a guy came up to him and said, kid, hey, Ed, Mr. Warren, that was a great uh, showing you had there and talking about those hauntings. How would you like to speak at our high school? And Ed said, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm a painter. I don't really talk in front of crowds. So the guy looks at the kid, looks at him and says, well, Mr. Warren, you know, we'd like to have you come and talk about all these. You bring your paintings with you. You want to be on stage. You talk about them. We'll give you $300. Ed says, when do I start? <laughs> Just like that. And he did. He did this. He pulls up. This is a funny story. He pulls up with Lorraine, who had nothing to do with lecturing with him. She was just accompanying Ed. They pull into the parking lot of this high school. Ed can't find a place to park. It's loaded with cars. Ed's like, must be a basketball game going on here. He walks in. No basketball game. There's 900 people wanting to see Ed talk at the auditorium. Now he's like a little nervous, like, I never did this before. So I said to Ed, well, how the hell did you get through that, Ed? He said, well, I just looked at the last guy in the last row, and I looked about a foot above his forehead, and I started talking. He goes, and I knew my, my subject matter, so I just mm -hmm. started talking, and it was a big success. People loved it. So I said, oh, is that how you got started? He goes, well, that's not really how I got started. Lorraine made a little passbook savings account, put the 300 bucks in it, and handed it to me. He said, Ed, this is your little speaking fund. So he was happy. He got in. Yeah. Lorraine thought it was cute, you know, to give him a little thing. Remember, 67, $300 is a lot of money. So about a month or two later, the phone rings. It's a college. Mr. Warren, we heard all about your lecture at this such and such a high school, and we heard it was fantastic. We'd like you to come and speak at our college and do the same thing. Ed says, well, you know what, sir? You know, I'm not really a, a lecturer. I did it like as a favor to this guy, so I don't really like to think I should do it again. Mr. Warren, we want you to come. We're going to give you $1,000 if you come. It says, when do I start? <laughs> and they did it. They did a second one. So Lorraine takes the passbook, $1,000 check. She puts it in and gives it there. Now he's got 1300 bucks in there. 1967. It's like a business now. That's college yeah. fund, right? That's college speaking fund, mm -hmm. or speaking, speaking book. But the next one, third time it happened, about two months later, another college calls up Ed. Ed, we want you to do a lecture. It's like, I don't want to do a lecture. I'm not really a public speaker. Ed, we'll give you $1,500. When do I start? That's it. When do I start? Because, you know, 1500 bucks back then is like fifteen grand today, right? So Lorraine gets the check. This is the funny part. She gets the check. She puts it in this passbook. It says, where's the passbook? When it says, it's not yours anymore, Ed. It's our passbook. Mm -hmm. Or this is our savings account now. And that's what really got him started. 
And then the big tip off, the big kickoff was when they did West Point Military Academy. They did a lecture slash investigation there. They wanted Ed to come and speak in Lorraine to speak, but they said, can you also come and investigate a cadet ghost mm-hmm. that we have in the dorms? But you can't tell anybody because this is a government institution and it wouldn't look good for the military calling in ghost hunters. Don't worry, we won't say anything. And they didn't. And Lorraine were, were true to their word. They never said a word about it. But the word got out. You know how? They did a lecture in a college months later. And at the Q&A session, a lady raised her hand and said, what about the West Point ghost cadet? And Lorraine's like frozen, doesn't know what to say. The lady's son went to West, Port, West Point during that time and knew about the ghost and told his mother. And the mother mentioned it in the audience. All the UA and the UP, everybody, newspapers got a hold of it. It made them like overnight sensations. Everybody wanted to do book mm-hmm. deals. And when they wanted him to do more lectures and TV shows and all, that's what really got him going in 75. Well, they obviously, then there was the Amityville case and then the, um, uh, the, the Arnie uh, Johnson double made me do it yeah, case. And right. like, and they were gaining attention. They were becoming famous. And really, you know, as far as people that were associated with ghost hunting at the time, really, you had Hans Holzer and you had the Warrens, and those were the big names. And then you have like a couple decades where it seems like things not goes away, but kind of quiets down. They would still do talk shows and whatnot, but it wasn't necessarily as much of the mainstream for a while. And then you hit this time around... 2003, 2004, 2005, when these ghost shows start popping up. And unfortunately, Ed passed away in 06. But what was kind of their thought when these ghost shows started, these reality TV shows, Ghost Hunters, and then uh, Paranormal State later on and whatnot started becoming popular? What what did they think yeah, well, about know, these shows? Yeah, you know, I, I believe like a lot of these TV shows were spawned by, of course, Ed and Lorraine. Because... They started the whole thing. They were the pioneers, just like the Hans Holzer. They were the pioneers of the paranormal. But Ed, of course, never saw these shows that I can recall because he got sick in 01. Yeah. He'd collapsed in 01. Now, Jason Hawes, I believe, was also a student of Ed Lorraine for a short time. Yeah, he, he's There's referenced a few people, that. Yeah. A few people. Ralph Sarchi, he was a student of Ed Lorraine. Uh, There's many people that started out trying to learn from Ed Lorraine. Then all of a sudden they got TV shows and Lorraine never got any show. But Lorraine did help out with- She held out Paranormal State because Ryan called her in and she had a bond with Ryan. Ryan Buell. Ryan Buell. She really liked Ryan. And Ryan was very, very, very nice back to Lorraine too. And they had a special relationship going. And so when he called her to do a show, she always said yes. She wouldn't do any old show Paranormal State was the only show I believe she really ever did. Uh, But the thing is, I felt bad that Ed never was able to have his own TV show because he would have been fantastic. He never got to see the movies either because, like I said, one, he became, you know, bedridden Mm -hmm. and he couldn't speak or talk or, uh, or, or even eat. And he passed in 06. And the movie, Conjuring, didn't come out till 2013. Yeah. But Lorraine did see Conjuring 1 and 2. And she was very, very happy with the results of Conjuring 1. 
Yeah, I remember seeing the screening at Warner Brothers uh, Studio uh, in Burbank. They had their own theater setup with the uh, surround sound and everything. It was beautiful. And I remember when it first came on, and they showed Ed and Lorraine at the beginning. Ed Lorraine was sitting next to me at the screening, the pre-screening. And I felt a little sadness happen. It overcame me when I saw Patrick Wilson portray Ed. I was saying to myself, if Ed ever saw this, how he would feel, how he would be glowing with pride that someone recognized his talents and Lorraine's talents, and they're portraying him with a famous actor and a handsome actor portraying Ed Warren, and he didn't get to see it. Kind of, it kind of bothered me because remember, Ed was doing it for so many years. He was investigating a paranormal realm since he was a kid. He was a kid and he, he was involved in paranormal stuff and he really started to research it when he was like 18. You know, he got out of the, uh, I'm sorry, 20 when he got out of the Navy. So that was like, he got out in 46. And 46 until 01 when he collapsed. He was doing this kind of work but never never got that like big recognition like a movie or TV show right. he could watch. Like, wow, they're portraying me on. So I felt kind of bad when I first saw and he couldn't see it, you know. He would have cast uh, John Wayne as himself, right? He loved John Wayne. John Wayne was his man. And like you asked me before what his favorite horror movies were, he had a lot, he loved, he loved, he loved, I forgot to tell you, he did love like Werewolf with Lon Chaney Jr. Oh, right, okay. He loved Wolfman. Frankenstein, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolfman. He loved Dracula. All the but, old Universal flicks. Yeah, yeah, he loved them. But the newer ones that he liked were... To you guys out there today, it's not that new. 1963, The Haunted with uh, Julie Harris and Claire Bloom. Uh, also, the, the Entity, where it was an incubus, incubus Attacks. And also, The Fog, the first movie, the original The Fog. Mm-hmm. He loved that, too. And I asked him, I said, Ed, why do you like The Fog so much? He said, in The Haunted with uh, Claire Bloom. He said, because it's not all blood and gore. The stuff you don't see that makes it so scary with the doorknob turning, with the knocking sounds, with the fog rolling in. He said, it's not all blood and gore, but it's scary. He said, that's what it's really like when you really investigate hauntings and, and paranormal phenomena. It's not this chopping off the heads and stuff. That, that's all movie stuff. So you have this wave of the Warrens in the late 60s and then uh, and, and through the 70s. That's like a generation. And then... Early 2000s with Paranormal State and Lorraine being involved in that, it's introduced into a kind of a new wave, a new generation. And then 2013, The Conjuring comes out, yet kind of another generation that that's getting hit with. And yeah. a, a movie that had a modest budget became a, a massive blockbuster, launched the, the Conjuring universe and the Annabelle movies and everything. And... It seems like, and this is the the transition into sort of this 28 days haunted world. Yeah. First off, let me say, as far as that Burbank lot, I remember that when you and I were filming 28 Days Haunted, which we filmed in Los Angeles, our control room portion of it, we drove by the Burbank lot, saw the, Bur- the, the famous Warner Brothers Tower, Yes. And you were telling me that story a little bit that had like special significance for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the cool part, too, is when we went to, to watch the filming of Conjuring 1, Rain, it was Conjuring 2 or 1, it was 1, 
we went to go see the uh, premiere and we went to the set prior to that we were at the guards gate i don't know if i told you this we we're at the guards gate and i'm waiting to get my pass to go in with lorraine and me and judy and my wife's in the back seat with lorraine she's yelling at me tone tone look 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 tone like jude i'm trying to talk to the guard here she said no 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 turn around quick i turn around this way sam elliott is in the car next to me He's in, a, he's in a Chevy Tahoe, <laughs> and he's next to me, and he's, the guard's not letting him in because he doesn't have a pass. Sam Elliott. And uh, my wife yells out the window, I know who he is, let him in. <laughs> right? Sam was just like Mr. Calm about everything, you know what I mean? And so it's cool to see Sam Elliott parked next to me trying to get in. But, yeah, that, that was fantastic. So the 28 Days Haunted thing, though, uh, is very special to us because... It's actually based on some of the theories, you know, that Ed Lorraine had about the longer you stay, the more psychological drama happens too, you know, and uh, you really dig deep into the unpeeling the layers of what might be there, you know. Well, what I'm excited about is it premieres October 21st on Netflix, and we have three teams of investigators at three separate uh, locations yes. embedded for 28 days and this is all happening simultaneously so you have all of this taking place at once it actually does make a lot of sense to me that regardless of what someone believes or not within the paranormal if you spend a few days in one location you start to get a little stir crazy you spend a week there maybe who knows what will happen you spend a week there with you know i love you if i was crammed in a room with you like for 28 days, 28 days it starts to get a little intense like yeah this is a a pretty crazy experiment you know like fish starts to rot after three days <laughs> it's the same like where a company comes over your house and they're good for a day or two after that it's like when are these people gonna leave right and the cool thing about the 28 days thing that we're talking about is not only not only the psychological thing with the interaction between the people, right? Mm -hmm. The investigators getting on each other's nerves, perhaps, or one trying to, to best the other or know more than the other. The egos get involved. It's not only that, it's that ghosts like to hide, too. In other words, if, we're, if we hide, they're going to go away. They're going to say, there's nothing here. We're going away. But the longer you stay, the more the ghost or spirit might be like, when are these people going to leave? They're not leaving. Well, maybe we better do something to have them leave, scare the heck out of them. So you may be, you don't know, you may be drawing the ghosts out even more the longer you stay because they're playing a wait and see game. Most people go and investigate a house for six hours, a day, maybe two days. Right. And then they leave because the ghost is laying dormant. Or because they've rented the location out for only a night. Or maybe the case, they have to move on. They have jobs or, or whatever. And a light just went out. Maybe that was a ghost. Um, but remember, most people investigate for two days, so they're not getting to the crux of what's happening. In other words, the ghost has been hiding for two days, hoping these people leave. But then... After three days, five days, ten days, now the spirits are like, I don't want them here anymore. They're not leaving. Yeah. We have to do something to make them leave. So maybe you're drawing out phenomena. Who knows? Like, yeah. we know that's the experiment. That's part of the experiment. Well, and with the paranormal, a, a lot of it's, I very much approach it 
with theories, but like you said, there's no rule book that we have. So it, and it doesn't operate on a schedule. So right. if you're there for two days and nothing happens, it doesn't mean that a place isn't necessarily not haunted. It just means that you didn't pick up on anything. That's right. That's and the right. longer that you're in a place, the more, it's almost like the more you get used to the place, but also the more the place gets used to you. And remember too, Aaron, nothing like this has ever been done before. Nothing. Like all these other shows that you watch, they're there for probably less than a day, you know, and they're not really, they're not digging, they're not doing a deep dive into it. Like this show is, and it, it's, it's, it's the psychological aspect too of spending that amount of time together with people that you don't know that well. Some of the people don't know each other that well at all. And to see the transformation of personalities, what happens, uh, it's intriguing to watch and seeing the cycle play out. You know? But you can also, when you have a time limit of only being in a place for a day or two days or whatever, if something cool happens, if something really compelling happens, you're still on a time limit as far as like, okay, now we got to wrap it up and move on. Whereas if you have an entire month in a place that, that provides you the flexibility to try a lot of things, to build on what you've already experienced and to keep pushing it further. Yeah. And see, and, and the thing too, is that like at the beginning, they're going to use all their equipment, you know, they're going to use the, the spirit boxes. They're going to do the, perhaps, <clears throat> perhaps the Estes method, various experimental things that they're going to try and equipment they're going to use. But after they use all this equipment for, say, a week or two, then that, all they got left is themselves and their own abilities and their, their own psychological aspects of what's, and emotions of what's happening here. They tried everything with equipment. Because, yeah, you know, when Ed Lorraine used to investigate, the only equipment they ever had were recorders, such as a cassette recorder or a open reel tape deck and film cameras. That's the only and a flashlight. Yeah. It sounds funny. That's all they had. And Lorraine's psychic powers. Yeah. Lorraine's and Ed's knowledge. They were raw. They, we want to talk about using raw knowledge. That's how they glean their information by their senses only. They didn't have spirit boxes. They didn't have REM pods. They didn't have any of these things. Yeah. So these people could have the REM pods and all these but they're also going to have to draw on their senses at a later time in the cycle. Now, I with with 28 Days Haunted, I was fortunate to be brought in to work with you in the control room. And we're monitoring these investigations. And, you know, I'm, I'm drawing from a lot of history and a lot of theories. And you're drawing from your own experience, but also a legacy. And I'm curious, did this show provide an opportunity for you to go back and look at old case files or notes or anything from Ed and reflect back on some of the things that Lorraine told you. Was this like a bit of a trip down memory lane as well as a trip into the archives for you? Yeah, absolutely. You got to remember that um, everything we learn is like, a, we're like a sponge. Everything we learn, we draw bits and pieces from. So when I watched what was happening, some of the trauma too that was happening on this show and the exciting parts that I'm not going to talk about until they watch it. Uh, I remember Ed telling me certain things about why things like that happen. Oh, that, 
and that's why that happened, you know, it's all, that's why the guy was screaming, or that's why they, he's at wit's end, because the ghost, or the, the entity that's there is malevolent, and it's, it's, it's tempting him, or he'll say something to that, and I'll know when I'm watching this, why certain things are happening to certain mm -hmm. people in the house, or, or how the ghost is playing hide-and-seek, too. I'll know that. Just by watching. So I draw on the information that I learned, and of course, the information that you know, uh, and you meld it all together, and you come up with these certain theories of what's happening and why, you know. Uh, but I know that by looking at all three of those places had stuff go on that is unexplainable. You, you unfortunately... Uh, Lorraine passed away in 2019 and um, and I know Judy is involved in Nesper as a co-director yeah, co-director um, it's really been your charge to kind of carry on the Warren legacy right now how does it make you feel to be doing this show on Netflix sending it out to a global audience right. and also talking about the Warren theories yeah, in this it new medium. Me, it makes me proud. It makes me proud to know that I work with the foremost psychic investigators of our time. You know what I mean? And, you know, Ed was one of the pioneers with Lorraine. Of course, there was Hans Holzer. And before Hans, there was Harry Price, too. Sure. But they were the real motivating factors behind what's happening today. We're, we're bringing it more to the fore of uh, people believing in the paranormal. And what I mean is Ed and Lorraine took the slings and the arrows back then. There were times back in the 60s and 70s when they were heckled yeah, greatly, where people would say, do you really believe? Ed would talk about ghosts in his lecture for two hours. Serious. Seriously. And then at the end of the Q&A, somebody would raise their hand and say, ah, Ed, you, believe, you really believe there's such a thing as ghosts? And Ed would be highly offended. He'd say, what do you think I've been talking about for two hours? What you just said to me is one of the most insulting things you could have said. Asking me after two hours of telling you what I believe, now you're asking me if I believe in ghosts. He used to take highly offense to that because a lot of people back then didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to know. Now it's mainstream. Yeah, it's not paranormal a fringe shows. topic. And now it's like paranormal is... Now it's almost like, a, now it's a reality. It's almost normal. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, paranormal is fine. Oh, yeah, they don't laugh when people say there's a ghost. Now they, now they seek out and want to know more. And that's what Ed always used to say. He goes, I want to spread the word that ghosts are real, that the devil is real, the devil exists. Ed used to say, and the devil exists and God exists. He says, and we as people, our very destiny hinges on which one we choose to follow. So do you feel like this show is pushing theories forward and, you know, kind of exposing it to yet another generation? I think so, for sure. For exposing it to another generation and trying to dig deep into why these phenomena happen and why they linger to why something could be haunted 400 years ago and is still haunted today. Why? And other places could be haunted one day and then it's gone. So we tried to delve into all of that, too, during the show to get to the root of why these things happen and what they mean, you know, what our lives mean. And is there life after death of the physical body, which 
I know and you know there is life of the death, life after death of the physical form. And uh, we're always trying to seek more answers. We're never going to have all the answers, Aaron. We're never going to have them. But we're trying to get as much knowledge in this realm as we can before we get to the other realm, which we all will. So I, before I let you go, I also want to talk about another way that you're kind of continuing the Warren names is through the upcoming Paracon that you're holding. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit the, about that. It's the Warrens, Seekers of the Supernatural Paracon. And why we named it that was, first of all, the Warrens. They're, 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 they're the, the foundation of, of everything we do. The society was founded by Lorraine Warren in 1952. But Seekers of the Supernatural, that's what they used to call themselves. When they did college lectures on the contract, it said, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and underneath it say, <clears throat> Seekers of the Supernatural. That was their moniker. Sounds like Se a superhero team, like yeah. the Justice Seekers League. Seekers of the Supernatural realm. And Ed was so staunchly su supportive of anything paranormal and spreading the word. And there were always naysayers. There's always people would say, oh, Ed, you're just doing that because you want to sell books and uh, and make movies. And you know what I just how I used to answer him? You're damn right I do. He goes, the more I can spread the word that the devil is real and have people believe that the devil is real and not to dabble in occult practices, the better. He goes, so if I got to buy sell books, if I got to do lectures, if I go on TV, so be it. I'm spreading the word. Ed believed 110% in devils and demons, but he also believed 110% in God and God's protection, that God is more powerful than any devil or demon on earth. But you have to invoke God's name. You have to have true faith. It's like anything else. You have to believe it. You know, like you, you, you uh, conceive it, right? You believe it, right? Mm -hmm. You achieve it. Conceive it, believe it, achieve it. If you don't believe that God can protect you and God is your protector, you don't pray to God, you're going to be influenced by what? The demonic realm. So but in, in particular with this event, I mean, you're going to be able to talk about this. I know you're going to be having a lecture. Yeah, I'm going to lecture. Uh, what else can people expect when well, they go to the have, Seekers of the Supernatural? We're going to have, well, over 100 vendors who sell everything from books to psychic readers, to Reiki healers, to we even have a tattoo person going to come that day and do a ta tattoos for people. Uh, we have mind readers, we have mentalists, we have the amazing Kreskin coming. See, I'm excited about that. The amazing Kreskin, I, I, I think that's it. awesome. Like that's old school mentalist. I love it. If you come, if you show up, I'm going to introduce you to Kreskin, have you talk to him. He's 87 years old now, Kreskin. He's still sharp as a tack. Still amazing. He's, uh, he's still amazing. His, his shows are amazing. They're awesome. But he, when he met me, the first time he met me, he shook my hand so hard like he knew me forever. He's an amazing guy, you know. He really, I mean, I don't mean as a pun. He's an amazing person. But he was on a Johnny Carson show, The Tonight Show, like 88 times. Johnny Carson doesn't have anybody on the show who's not good. Yeah. He was so amazing that Johnny called him back 88 times. And so he's going to be at our show. He's going to do at least a one-hour performance. But he's also going to be sitting as a vendor, talking to people. Oh, cool. And he's going to sell his photograph or whatever, have a picture taken with him down to earth. He's a very great guy. And we're going to have 
Dan, we're having other people show up too. I know you got Nick Groff Nick from Groff, um, Nick and Tessa. Paranormal Lockdown Paranormal and Ghost Lockdown Adventures. And Ghost You've got Adventures. Ryan Buell from Paranormal Ryan, State. Ryan Buell from Par Jeremy Leonard, who did The Ghost of Morgan City. And people will see Jeremy on uh, um, 28 shows. Days Haunted. Yeah, I'll fun. say it. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it, but I'll say it. He's in the video. I think he's and, in the trailer. He's a good guy, too. And uh, we're going to have uh, UFO people. Uh, people talk about UFOs, cryptologists. Uh, people talking about Bigfoot. I mean, you name it. We're you kind of have like a, I think this has the, perhaps the most famous guest that's going to be there is also the most infamous guest. Uh, she will be appearing in a box. Yeah. And her name is Annabelle. The we're Annabelle gonna, doll. We're going to bring important artifacts from the Warren Occult Museum. It's a special gonna, handling, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a special case built for her with special protective measures, measures taken. We're going to have the Annabelle doll, the satanic idol. We're going to have the um, dinosaur from the Devil Made Me Do It case. Right, the Johnson case, right? And we're going to have about eight or seven or eight other artifacts. And we have some listed and we have some surprise ones coming too. We're going to replicate as best we can the Warren Occult Museum at Mohegan Sun Casino. On October 29th the experience and and I think it's just it's interesting and I'm, I'm gonna call it out as far as so Annabelle the Annabelle uh, the Raggedy Ann doll uh, she's going to be carried in a special travel case that uh, was constructed by Dan and uh, Dan, Rivera. Dan Rivera and the lead investigator of Nesper yep. and senior lead investigator. Yep. And if I recall, so there's I, I've seen the case. So you have the St. Michael prayer that is uh, in it's, it's etched in the back of behind, the case behind the velvet a protective near her head. Behind her head is a velvet uh, cloth. Behind the cloth is inscribed the Lord's Prayer and the St. Michael the Archangel Prayer. In the wood stain that Dan did, the dark stain, he went and got blessed holy water, blessed holy oil by a traditional Catholic priest. He infused it all in a stain, he mixed it together, and then he stained the whole thing with that. And then he, he carved crosses on both sides and a cross on the front to, to replicate the Holy Trinity. Yeah. And then he has plaques of the St. Michael uh, angel on both sides of the of case. And he also we also have the case blessed before we bring it anywhere by a Catholic priest. And you handle, talk about the gloves. We have special gloves that we use if we ever have to touch the doll with our bare hands. Ed always used to say, don't touch it with your bare hands. Put something on like heavy gloves, a comforter, a blanket. Don't touch with your because your aura can mingle with the aura of that inanimate object, the evil aura. So what we have are these heavy, thick gloves. And inside each glove, we have blessed metals that are t uh, sewn in to each side, each finger inside. St. Michael alternated by St. Benedict, St. Michael, St. Benedict. And on the outside, we have a blessed metal. And then we have our hands dressed, uh, drenched in holy water before we put the gloves on. Dan does it. He drenches himself in holy waters. He gets blessed by a Catholic priest prior to coming here. And we bless the case with the priest. And then he just grabs him, he puts the gloves on, grabs the doll. Within five seconds, he moves it to the other case. He doesn't want to hold it too long. That was instructions from Ed how to do it. I <laughs> normally... 
Tony, when I go to a casino, the scariest part is how much money I can lose. Yeah, but right. at, the, at the Warren Seekers of the Supernatural of it, the scariest part is going to be doll, the most doll. famous part, the she's doll, gonna be, too. She's going to be guarded 24-7 by security. And uh, to buy tickets, though, they have to go to one website. It's uh, NESPR, which is New England Society for Psychic Research, NESPR.TicketBud.com, NESPR. Dot ticketbud.com and they can buy the tickets. We, we still have tickets available, but they're selling pretty fast. We've already in the thousands. All so, right. You know, we want you to come, Aaron, if you can come, because we know you're famous too. <laughs> we, want, we want to have you come. Lies. Just, just Don't believe it. Just to sign autographs. <laughs> but last question for you, Tony. I appreciate your time. You've been so accommodating today. But last question. like We obviously walked through the occult museum. We looked at a lot of cool stuff and right. a lot of interesting stuff. Personally, I do love those tiki mugs on the wall. Uh, I, I, I like those. But there's Annabelle. But what's the item for you in the museum that when you go in there... You're just like, nope, I just, I don't want to deal with this today. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about it. Outside of Annabelle, what yeah, is the doll? There's actually two. Uh, one is the shadow doll. Right. Which we talked about. Made specifically to curse other people. It's almost like a, it's almost like a voodoo doll. And that is scary to me, the way it's constructed with the bird feathers, the animal bone and a human tooth on it. And the satanic idol. And the reason the satanic idol bothers me is what happened to Lorraine after that. We talked about in the museum how she had a problem because the high priest who owned it, you know, blamed Ed for taking it out of the woods, figuring Ed stole his statue and performed witchcraft towards Lorraine. And was afflicted to the point that she was in a fetal position. For three days. Yeah. And it was... And Ed told me, he says, I know it was him. It was a satanic priest because he, he knew the guy personally. He said he has a lot of power. He said he didn't mess with me personally because he knows I have, Ed told me this directly, I have immense knowledge of reverse ceremonial magic. He goes, so this guy, as a warning, went to Lorraine and put her in a, almost a catatonic state for three days. Yeah. So that, that I don't want to deal with because that's a scary item. Yeah. You also have like a Teddy Ruxpin doll and a Care Bear in there, and it just shows you that, according to paranormal theory, it doesn't have to be old and spooky, no, creepy looking to be. And those were recently recently given sent to us from people who had problems with. Oh, I bought this text already to uh, Ruxpin Bear, and I had a problem right, immediately at night. I had a problem, and they attribute it to whatever they purchased. That's we get a lot of items that way. Where hey, I bought a mirror at the at a tag sale. I bought a statue at a tag sale. I bought a dollar at a tag sale, and that night I started to see stuff out of the corner of my eyes, my name being called. I felt like I was being touched. They attribute it to the dollar. We're not going to argue with them. Send it to us. We'll bless it and put it in the museum. All right. Well, the event is the Warren Seeker of the Supernatural event. It's happening the last weekend of October. And at the Mohegan Sun, uh, yes. people can go there. The show is 28 Days Haunted. Netflix, Netflix, October 21st. 21st. 
And the guy, the man, is Tony Spera, the director of the New England Society of Psychic Research, and also a buddy of mine. Also the guy that, I don't know, we spent a lot of time in that control room on 28 Days Haunted. 12 so hours a day. It's a lot of coffee. A lot, <laughs> a lot of coffee. Of, <laughs> a lot of coffee. Yeah. Not, not a lot of breaks. <laughs> uh, Tony, my friend, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Thanks, and, uh, chatting. Let me chat your ear off, man. Thanks. We'll have to do this again, so... And, uh, and thank you to Rosebud the Cat for hanging out with us. You got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Tony Sparrow, the director of the New England Society of Psychic Research, also known as Nesper. And he is the son-in-law of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and he's the co-host of 28 Days Haunted, which also stars yours truly. The show debuts on Netflix October 21st. And you know what? You know what you can do now? You can actually set your reminders on your Netflix account. So when the show drops, it will remind you. It's very nifty. I mean, of course, I am somewhat partial to this, but, you know, I encourage you to do it. Anyhow, you don't need to be a fan of the Warrens to enjoy the show. It's really a paranormal investigative show uh, featuring a lot of incredible investigators and some very wild activity that develops over the course of the season. Also, I would encourage you to check out the Warren's Seekers of the Supernatural Paracon, which Tony Sparrow is holding. That takes place October 29th, 2022 at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So until next time, I'm Aaron Sagers, and thank you for joining. And remember, be kind. Stay spooky and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. <laughs>